Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast is sponsored by Fortress Information Security. Fortress offers the only comprehensive cybersecurity solution for your entire supply chain. That strength, combined with Fortress's operational vulnerability solutions, and your organization is protected from a full spectrum of cybersecurity risks. This program is a production of McAllen Communications, publishers of Homeland Preparedness News. The mission of HPN is to inform and educate the American public about the efforts undertaken by its government and private sector to protect them from the ever-evolving threats to the homeland. HPN can be found at www.homelandprepnews.com. And welcome to the Homeland Preparedness News Podcast. I am your host, Jim Murtha. The trillions of dollars spent in the intervening decades since the end of the Second World War by the U.S. and its allies have created a defensive shield as well as an overwhelming offensive force to ward off any potential entity conspiring to do us harm. The military might of Western-aligned forces is massive, complex, and lethal. But many people have wondered if what we have created can address the 21st century threats that look nothing like a missile, a tank, a battalion of soldiers, or a nuclear weapon. Cybersecurity has been the newest front in the defense of the homeland. When it comes to cybersecurity, we often hear nothing but bad news. Threats that could cripple a nation's power grid, its air traffic control system, its water supply, and even its massive military could come from a relatively small group of computer literate individuals. But in fact, there are reasons to feel encouraged by the level of innovation going on in the cybersecurity space. For starters, the U.S. is stronger in its offensive capabilities than many people give us credit for. Yet there are soldiers located around the world armed with only bad intentions and lines of computer code trying to hack into our most sensitive systems and bring the U.S. to its knees without firing a single shot. But the good news is, We do have companies and our own tech champions prepared to protect the critical infrastructure vital to each and every American. Joining us today to talk about how America has strengthened and developed its cyber defense capabilities is John Cofrancesco, who currently serves as Vice President for Fortress Information Security, a firm headquartered in Orlando, Florida, and specializing in cyber defense. John Cofrancesco, welcome to the Homeland Preparedness News Podcast. Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation today. You're welcome. Uh, Before we get started on the substance of our conversation, John, how about explaining your background in information security and your role at Fortress? Yeah, well, I started my career with the United States Navy as a civilian. I worked for what I think is one of the coolest parts of the Navy, uh, Military Seal of Command. So those are the not the USS ships, but the USNS ships, the ones that are manned by the civilians. They they do all the the really exciting stuff uh, like uh, replenishing, replenishing the carriers, uh, refueling, um, you know, various weapon systems. So that's where I started my career. I worked my way through a, a number of uh, well-known companies in the defense industry before getting into entrepreneurship. And, and my focus has always been on regulated spaces. So spaces that are really at the edge of where policies and technology meet. 
Um, and so I've spent a, a good deal of really my whole career doing that. Um, here at Fortress, I'm responsible for developing our business, but also the technologies, overseeing how we deploy technologies to the federal and then defense industrial base uh, spaces uh, around cyber supply chain security. So I, I enjoy both the business development side and the actual delivery side of uh, of our business there. In my preamble, uh, I tried to paint uh, kind of a grim picture of the vulnerabilities facing our country from cyber threats. Uh, you recently wrote about some of the dangers facing the country just before the, is it, I, I believe it's called the Log4J happened. Log, the Log4J, you can also call it Logjam. That's the, that's the nickname. Oh, Logjam. All right, let's call it Logjam then. Apparently you knew about that was going to happen and and what should, and it's going to happen again. What should we be doing industry and as a country to prevent those things from happening again? You know, that's why I couldn't say that Log4J was going to be the vulnerability, but certainly I knew that some type of vulnerability like that was going to come to fruition. And I knew that because the incentive structure behind software development today is so incompatible with security that it was it was just easy to see. It didn't have to be a fortune teller to do that. And I, I could put some detail around that, Jim. So your average company is trying to put out software as fast as they can because they got to beat the market, right? They want to they beat their competitors. They want it to be really good. Um, they also need to keep costs down. And sure. this is where we get into trouble. So you can have fast and you can have good, but you can't have secure at the same time. And so we have a situation where the most important pieces of software that are going into things like our weapon systems that are going into grandma's, uh, you know, heart monitor uh, that are going into our food supply systems. They are pulling components from public sources and those public sources really aren't checked and reviewed. So our adversaries, folks that really hate the American way of life, uh, they're able to just put all sorts of poisons or because they aren't diligent, they accidentally create vulnerabilities that are then introduced to, to all the things that we depend on. For our, some of our listeners that aren't familiar with the logjam, what exactly happened there? Yeah, so this is one of these times where a vulnerability wasn't nefarious. So uh, everybody's using software for everything, right? From your phone to your medicine, everything in between. Yep. And one of the things that becomes really important is the human-machine interface, right? So how the human interacts with the software. And so log4j is a really common component. Think about it like the, the salt in the cookies that you made, but also the salt uh, in, in the, the cold cuts on your sandwich and also the salt on your table. So this is a really common component that goes into just about every piece of software that has a human machine. Would you see it on in your phones? Yeah, absolutely. You can see it on your phone. You can yeah. see it on websites. Definitely web-based applications are going to have it more frequently. That So it was just a very ubiquitous uh, component, a very ubiquitous ingredient, if you will. And that ingredient happened to have a really, really big weakness, a weakness that you didn't have to be very sophisticated to take advantage of. And if you did, it would give you tons of exposure to somebody's network. Wow. Did it wreak a lot of havoc? You know, so this is one of the tricky things in cybersecurity. I can tell you candidly, it has wreaked a, a lot of havoc, but, you know, nobody wants embarrassment. Right. Nobody wants to, you know, raise their hand and say, oh, I was the one that that got hacked. Right. That's so although we know that uh, a number of companies, some big companies were breached through this vulnerability. We also know that there were a lot more vulnerabilities that folks didn't disclose. And, and some very public sources have talked about the number of attempted hacks that, uh, you know, organizations from China and Russia and, and other adversarial countries have been using that basically taking advantage of this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, well, let, let's move on to defense then. Uh, I think for the average person, you think, uh, well, our government is the our first line of defense in these cyber attacks. If that's so, how well is it equipped to handle the job? Well, you know, I think, I think Jim, that's a little bit of a misnomer. You know, the government isn't the first line of defense. And this is where things get tricky. The first line of defense is the company with whom you're working, yourself being smart about having good passwords and things like that. If it gets to the point where the government's doing it, uh, it, it's really gotten to the point where you're, you've probably already lost the game. And unfortunately, in the defense arena, where government is, is in fact the first line of defense, right, um, in a lot of respects, we're just behind. Um, we are far more exposed than, than our near-peer nations, the Chinas and Russias of the world. And we have not, for, for the economic reasons I mentioned earlier, invested the appropriate amount of money and regulations to ensure security. So we're, we're in a tough spot and uh, we're working to fix it. Well, I don't know if that makes me feel any better, to be honest with you. <laughs> I guess I get, I, I think uh, uh, most people think that government can be somewhat omnipotent in these spaces. And uh, you're telling me that it is not. So um, let's suppose that you were given carte blanche to implement any safeguards against a, a, a major cyber attack. Uh, with budget being no restriction whatsoever, what what would you do? You know, if I lived in that world, I, I would take measures that matched the economic outcomes of failure. That so, if you actually look at the energy production field, right? So those big power plants that make our electricity, sure, they have a pretty stringent. I would argue, perhaps the most stringent regulatory environment for cybersecurity. You know, electricity is really important. I don't want Russia turning off the lights. But you know what's every bit as important as lights? Water. I really like to have fresh water at my house. I love turning on the tap and washing my hands. It feels great when I take a shower. I'm sure you like that too. I do. But the water industry doesn't have anything near the level of sophistication when it comes to cyber regulations as power does. But so that's an area where I'd say, hey, you're going to adopt the electric standard. And there are some other industries like oil and gas, um, healthcare. That, that I would probably move the bar up. I would raise the bar. Now, you can never get rid of all the, all the risk. You can never get rid of all the vulnerability. But, you know, cyber attacks are really an economic game. That's the, the cyber attackers, they like cyber weapons because they're inexpensive. So if we can make it more expensive for them to have successful attacks, we'll have fewer cyber attacks. So I'd pick those industries where the economic outcomes were just too important. I'd raise the bar. And then for the rest of the country, you know, I'd, I'd encourage through regulations to make sure that asset providers, so those folks that are making your software, making your hardware, that they're building in more securities. You know, th there is no zero zero risk world, but we can be measured and, and, and we can absolutely raise the bar. Would it be fair to say that a lot of industries are just sitting back and waiting for the worst to happen? They're doing the minimum uh, to protect themselves. Uh, and they're, they're saying, well, my industry is not that high profile. We don't think it's all that important. They're not doing enough to protect themselves. You know, I, I had to, Would a lot I, of industries fall in that uh, category. Oh, yeah, but you know, I, I do, but for, for a really specific reason, actually, this is a conversation I was having with a really, really smart young man. who's joining our company and, uh, he has a, a, an economics background. And I asked him, I said, you know, who is in charge of cybersecurity at a company? And, you know, like most, most college grads do, he goes, well, it's probably the CIO or the CTO, or and then he went and did some research and said, well, what about this CISO guy, right? This chief information security officer, surely that person is in charge of security. And I, and I laughed at him because the answer is no. 
right? The person who's really responsible for security companies, the CFO, it's a financial question, right? That so you have really, really smart and talented security professionals in just about every major industry in this country, and they are tack limited by what they're allowed to spend. Now, that isn't to say that you should spend infinite on security, but, but Jim, I think you're on the money here. Most industries are ducking this because they don't want to absorb the cost. And, and that's sort of what I think needs to change at a regulatory level. We were speaking earlier, uh, I'd remarked that, you know, almost all the stuff that's involved in this in, in cyber war warfare, uh, the software, the hardware was all created here in the United States with some exceptions, but it all began here. It's uh, it, it was created here with the Bill Gateses, the Steve Jobses, all those people created all this stuff. Now, knowing that, I think the average American is asking to themselves, well, if they're doing it to us, can we do it to them? So the question to you is, can we and are we? Well, it, it is definitely the case that we have in the United States the most advanced offensive cyber capabilities of any country on earth. And there are a handful of other countries, China, Russia, Iran, Israel, um, you know, other partner countries like Germany that have some pretty sophisticated capabilities. But we are also the most exposed country on earth. You see, if we turn the lights off in Moscow, Vladimir Putin doesn't care because his people, they don't get to vote. They're not really citizens. But here in the United States, if the power goes out, it's a huge deal. This is a democracy. We're an open society. So that wonderful, that powerful offensive capability does something for us, but, but it's an asymmetrical vulnerability. We're way more exposed, and it's actually our lack of defense that is the bigger issue. And so, uh, yes, Jim, we absolutely do things, but uh, that's not really where the heart of the value, the heart of the issue is. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess then we are doing things overseas, but because we're probably doing to them to autocratic societies that are run by a relatively small group of people, we just don't hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even when we do hear about it, it just doesn't change what's going on in that country, right? They just continue on the path. I mean, Iran is a great example. Now, nobody officially knows who released the Stuxnet attack on the Iranian uh, centrifuges that were building their nuclear weapons. Um, almost certainly it was us. Uh, maybe with the help of the Israelis and the Germans, but we, we certainly had a hand in it. But did the average Iranian know about that? No. Even now, does the average Iranian know about it? No. And are they still on track to build nuclear weapons or, or fissile material? Absolutely. Because in those type of societies, cyber attacks just don't have the same bearing as as they do here. Because again, those people may legally be citizens in, in the international sense, but in the, the sort of moral sense, they're not citizens. They don't vote. They don't have a say. And that's only in open societies do these cyber attacks really land the heavy, heavy punch. Your company, uh, Fortress Information Security, is currently doing some cutting-edge uh, protection of uh, the DOD. In as much as you can tell me what you're doing, what are you doing? So, Jim, you, you made a really interesting comment earlier about, you know, we created all this stuff and, and it's coming back to haunt us a little bit. Uh, it's true we did create the stuff, but actually the majority of the things that are being created today or manufactured today are not being manufactured in the United States. Even our, our weapon systems now are permeated with components, think microchips, think pieces of software that come from China and Russia and, and other countries that we don't want them to come from. So what we're doing is working the DOD to help them to identify where, where that has happened so they can throw out the junk, so they can remove the poison out of the systems. And uh, it's work we're really proud of and, and we put a lot of effort into. In, in advance and in doing prep work for this podcast, I, I did some reading 
And uh, I just assumed that uh, we were getting attacked. And I use that term very broadly, you know, every day. And I found out that that is not only true, but it's happening like tens of thousands of times a day. Is that really true? Even tens of thousands might be a low number. Oh, uh, we're under continuous and ongoing attack. Now, let's maybe we talk about that. You know, if you if you think about international relations, right? If if you invade a country like Russia is preparing to do in, in the Ukraine, that is a very kinetic thing. It's a physical thing, right? And we can attribute yes. it. I can watch the Russian tanks come across across the border, right? Um, that's a gym. Cyber is different in that in that you you can't always attribute who's who's doing the things. But second to that, you know, if, if somebody blows up a, a Russian tank, well, that's one less tank they have. If, if we manage to defeat a cyber attack, well, they can just release an unlimited number of cyber attacks, right? They just have another server and another server and another server because there isn't a, a kinetic defense. There isn't a physical way to stop them, really. So we are under constant attack, but there's it's really important to sort of separate out the attacks that are going to change America's way of life versus the attacks that are sort of more criminal in nature. I did a, a podcast earlier in the year on ransomware. I assume that that kind of falls into the same category that we've been discussing on this podcast, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and ransomware, you know, it's one of those economic attacks. Now, to be clear, state actors sometimes hide their attacks through ransomware, right? Because they want to make you think it was criminal when really it was a state actor. But but primarily, that's a money-generating operation. So that's a very sort of different thing than the sort of nightmare scenario of somebody attacking a water system or a power plant. But it, but it's fairly sophisticated, though, in its execution. It, it, it is and it isn't. That's so, and I, maybe, it's, maybe it's worth detailing this, and, and, and hopefully your listeners will appreciate this. So as you, you've, how, when was the last time you, you downloaded a patch or an update for your phone, Jim? It does it automatically, uh, periodically. I get a notice because I, I have an Apple phone. I get a notice from Apple that they're going to upgrade the software while I'm sleeping. And then it does it, and then I'm done. Now, I am I am afraid to say I'm not an Apple user. Maybe I should be. But uh, for those of us who are on the other side, live in the Windows world, um, you, know, you actually have to hit the go button on those patches or those updates. Now, what the bad guys love to do is they love to go through what's called patch notes. So they actually go through the notes of the new patch and they see here are all the things that that patch just fixed. And then they turn around to all the people, all the companies that didn't hit the patch button for whatever reason, maybe laziness, and they attack them using known vulnerabilities. So there are absolutely times where the bad guys sort of create something new, but most of the time the attacks are unsophisticated. They find somebody who had a weak password or clicked a stupid email or didn't patch something when they should and they take advantage of that. That, so that actually makes up the preponderance of, of what we're seeing here. And then once they're in, well, then they get this great opportunity to take your stuff and then charge you to get it back. So it's, uh, it is definitely a situation that could be remedied in large measure if people just took pretty standard steps. Mm -hmm. um, I, I realize that a lot of our discussion here uh, is theoretical for a lot of people that might be listening to it. Like, you know, they're sitting here listening. Well, I don't I just can't think of anything that bad ever happened to me that I know about. Can you think of an example where, where an attack occurred that an average person uh, would understand or, or remember uh, that something untoward occurred uh, with, uh, with uh, a phone or a desktop or, or uh, a public utility or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the most famous one that was recent was the Colonial Pipeline attack. 
Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, people were waiting in long gas lines all over the East Coast. I mean, it was terrible. Uh, you know, what most that was ransomware, wasn't it? It was. It was. So and that was a really interesting attack. And then I, I can share with you a couple details on it. But so sure. You know, most of the time when you think about or when I think about sort of a pipeline attack or a power plant attack, I'm thinking about them attacking the software, the, the hardware that is physically operating the systems. And I think some people mistakenly believe that's what happened there. But in fact, that's not what happened. What really happened is the hackers attacked uh, some of the systems that controlled payment. That's a think about like when you go to the gas station, right? You see the meter there. That's how they're able to charge you. Well, right. effectively, what the hackers did is they turned off the ability of the pipeline to charge the people taking the fuel out. So the company had to stop the flow of fuel. They didn't know who was, who was taking what out. Really? Oh, yeah. That's because a- I, I thought all along they they somehow hacked into the system, shut some valves down and prevented the flow of uh, crude from, you know, where it originated to where it was going to go. No, there was definitely concerns about that. And I think like, like every, like you, most people thought that, but in fact, the, the OT network, the operational network had, had remained pretty safe. It was actually the IT network that, that overlay, basically the payment system that they were, that they were effective in attacking. And that is the tricky thing here because the bad guys, they don't have to win every time. They only have to win occasionally to have a really, really impactful result. And obviously that's sort of the great fear of everybody who works in our industry. It's been my experience over the years that uh, the regulated are always two steps ahead of the regulators. Uh, For example, uh, and you're probably intimately familiar with this because you testified in Congress. Congress is working on a bipartisan bill that will attempt to shore up our defenses against cyber attacks. My question is, but given the length of the legislative process and how things can get watered down, will the bills currently under consideration be obsolete by the time and if they are signed into law by the president? Well, that, that depends largely on what they pass. Right. So if, if they pass a if they if they pass a static bill that says, "Hey, you're going to do X, Y, and Z," yeah, the, the adversaries will overcome that quickly. But if they pass a bill, and this is what we're angling for, that continually raises the bar it'll give us a real opportunity to change the economics of cyber attacks, right? It'll give us an opportunity to just continually stay one step ahead. And and there have been some really great leaders on both parties, both sides that have stepped up to do this. Um, you know, freshman, Senate, uh, freshman congressmen like Scott Franklin have been stepping up. Uh, Stephanie Murphy, also from Florida, ha- has really gone to bat on this issue. So there's a number of folks, both sides of the aisle, that have worked really hard to, to see this come to fruition. Okay, I'm going to get you out here on this. I, I always like to ask my guests uh, to to look ahead, and you're I'm sure that there are there is probably tons of things that you can't tell me, but I'm asking you in the nights that you can't sleep and you're worried about work, what are those kinds of things that keep you up at night? You know, I think the the big thing that that keeps me up, you know, with regards to my field, um, is that. For, for silly reasons, we're going to pass up an opportunity to stay out in front. America, we really have something special. We're not perfect, but it, but we really do have something special here. And if we let the, the, the political bickering get in the way of us defending ourselves, we're going to find ourselves with less freedom, right? And you see this on Facebook. You see this in our systems that the bad guys are, are taking advantage of us. That doesn't have to be the case. Today, it is the case. And, and I'm hopeful that we'll overcome it. But it is definitely my fear that, that will let sort of silly domestic politics get in the way of, of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. John Cofrancesco of Fortress Information Security. Thank you for a really interesting and somewhat sobering discussion. Well, my pleasure, Jim, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Cheers. The previous podcast was sponsored by Fortress Information Security. Fortress offers the only comprehensive cybersecurity solution for your entire supply chain. That strength, combined with Fortress's operation vulnerability solutions, and your organization is protected from a full spectrum of cybersecurity risks. To learn more, just go to www.fortressinfosec.com. The preceding podcast was a production of McAllen Communications, publishers of Homeland Preparedness News. If you have a topic for a future program, just go to www.homelandprepnews.com and look for the podcast section on the front page. Until next time, I am your host, Jim Murtha. Be well, be safe, and be prosperous. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.